Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series on international due diligence investigations, finding the needle in the corporate haystack. This series is sponsored by Infortal Worldwide. Established in 1985, Infortal Worldwide has conducted over 2 million investigations globally. Infortal specializes in investigations for FCPA vendor risk management, mergers and acquisitions, transactions, board due diligence, and screening of executives internationally, in addition to routine background checks. Infortal has implemented, tried, and tested methodologies combined with new tools to reveal 30% more hidden and undisclosed information other than investigations. For more information, check out their website, www.infortal.com. Over the next five podcasts, we will be exploring such issues as when basic due diligence is no longer enough, given some recent government FCPA and international anti-corruption enforcement actions, what do CCOs need to know and want to know, what is and what is not working in due diligence investigations today, M&A successor liability issues, reputational damage, how they might be avoided by more robust investigative due diligence, and finally, with the changes in global policies regarding data privacy, the changes in technology with AI, what are some of the innovations and progress we will see in, in investigative due diligence going forward. Throughout this series, I am joined by Candace Tao. Candace is the founder, founder and CEO of Infertile Worldwide. I know you will find this series useful and instructive. The series on international due diligence investigations, Finding the Needle in the Corporate Haystack, is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for episode three of our five-part exploration of international due diligence investigations, how you might find the needle in the corporate uh, haystack. As always, I'm joined by Candace Tao, the president and CEO, founder of Infertile. And today we're going to take up the topic of what is and what is not working in due diligence investigations. So, Candace, uh, first of all, uh, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Great to be back. So, Candace, um, if I'm sitting in the CCO chair, uh, what are the key results that I need but I'm not getting from uh, the typical due diligence provider? Well, that's um, very important. WUSC uh, chief compliance officers are really working with extremely limited due diligence data. And that really worries me um, because they feel that they have all the information they need to make proper risk assessments, and they don't. Um, and I'm sure that I'm not the only one that knows that. I'm sure most um, investigators with any uh, amount of significant experience in this field would know the same. And so that would include the regulators. They have investigators with uh, substantial experience uh, who would say the same types of things. So this is just the beginning. And so they're using very limited data to inform and rank risks. And um, so that's a concern. Um, what are the types of information that they're not getting? They're not getting, they may be seeing one to 5% of the issues that are out there, but they're not seeing the 35% of issues that they could readily see if they were doing a slightly more detailed 
um, due diligence program rather than the one size fits all approach to, oh, we'll just do level one for everybody. So Candace, what uh, are the types of measurements you would suggest that demonstrate the effectiveness of a due diligence program? Well, I, I would say if they're not seeing at least 30% negative information, and by that I'm talking about bribery and corruption related issues, uh, and sometimes there are other issues too. For example, conflict of interest. Is that an issue? It may or may not be. In some situations, it would be, certainly. And in others, it could be innocuous. Um, so they're not getting the, any, any type of information that may be beyond the very, very basics. Com does the, is the company um, there? Does it exist? Is it a staged situation? Uh, where maybe the, it's just a front, it's an office front, and I'm not talking about shell companies now, but actual companies that misrepresent even having uh, any facility on the ground. Uh, we see that a great deal. We see that in many countries, uh, Latin America, we see it in Africa. Uh, it's very, very common in Africa to see, uh, in many different countries in Africa, of course, to see that type of situation. Um, they're not seeing uh, extended relationships between people. Um, in Latin America, you see a lot of uh, family-run enterprises. And so they're not picking that up uh, necessarily, uh, where one, one company um, that they're doing business with, uh, actually that family may have multiple businesses and their other businesses are corrupt. How does that impact the primary relationship? Does it impact it or not? And oftentimes you won't see that in level one due diligence. So there's very, very important red flags that are missing. And so they may not even know who the real owners are. And I kid you not, Tom, there are many cases where we see um, companies that are sent to us for uh, due diligence investigations where, where we don't even have the correct name of the company. The company name is wrong. Um, the names of the executives are wrong. Um, or they're mistranslated um, into English, not by us, but of course, but by the field people that report um, to the client company. And so um, when that's done automatically or digit, you know, it's done through data uh, aggregation, that company may be um, not even um, researched correctly because they don't have the right information. It can be that they've got the wrong company name. And so you've got a false negative. There's no information about the company, but actually they've been reporting a different company. So that's another uh, type of issue for some um, chief compliance officers to be concerned about. D does the company actually exist? Are there actually employees working there? Um, you wouldn't know that from the basic due diligence that occurs. So it's really about sharpening up the due diligence program to find uh, a little bit more effective way of getting to where the risks are. Uh, it doesn't have to cost a fortune to do that. It may only be a few hundred dollars more to to find real meaningful information. And Candace, so you actually uh, start, started uh, with those last couple of statements uh, into the question I wanted to ask you next, which is what is a strategy, once again, sitting in my CCO chair with my CCO hat on, what would you advise me as a strategy that you would say really works around due diligence investigations? I think a very good strategy would be certainly do the level one due diligence 
Um, but consider adding to that, building on that basis, uh, uh, deep due diligence searches, excuse me, deep dive searches on media and the internet. So the internet is about 500 times greater than a typical Google search. And I've had surprising number of um, compliance officers and managers who've said, well, we've also done Google searches. And that may be surprising to hear even today that that happens. Um, but they couldn't find information. That's because they're not looking in the right places. So uh, deep, deeper media searches um, and deeper internet searches can yield about 35% more information than just the basic level one search. So that would be a strategic way of um, incorporating data that helps you to rank risk. And I think it's vital. And I think it's one of the things that's not really happening today. Um, companies are leaving that far too late in the process. And so they are doing it in the deep dive due diligence phase, which would be level three type investigations, where they're looking at how do we find everything there is about the company? And that would come up for, <clears throat> excuse me, companies that already have shown a red flag in the basic due diligence level. But again, you're not seeing all of the red flags when you only do basic due diligence. And so, yes, they're doing deep um, due diligence on the red flags, but not enough of the red flag issues are coming to their attention at level one. So... Right. So how does uh, you take that then and help a CCO not only uh, use that information, but actually, uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at is how does a CCO use that information in making uh, any type of assessment going As, forward? Yeah. So um, long term, if you, if you look at that picture, uh, slightly longer term, the CCO needs to perform a, um, a more meteor, if you will, due diligence than the level one that we're seeing. But they also need to repeat those steps every year or two, perhaps every three years for lower, lower risks. Uh, so ongoing monitoring of third parties is also an essential component of doing effective due diligence on third parties. And today we don't see enough of that happening. And I think that that's tripped up a few companies um, in recent times where they've, they have perhaps done a um, basic due diligence program and they felt they had a solid compliance program around that um, and around their internal controls, um, internal uh, controls and accounting provisions. So they felt that they've, they've got a solid uh, compliance program where in fact they've been, uh, they've had a very lopsided view of their third parties. And you also have regional instability in a lot of, a lot of countries that are high risk profile, uh, certainly in a lot of African countries, um, but also various, type, various areas of the world um, where you have instability. And so one, uh, an, a vendor or third party that's been um, non, not corrupt, not functioning in a corrupt manner, with changes in political upheaval in a country, find themselves now having to do business in a completely different manner. And suddenly now you've got a, uh, a bribery situation going on or uh, permitting uh, bribes to get permits through that didn't 
perhaps happened a few years beforehand. So the ongoing monitoring is really vital to a solid compliance program. So, Candace, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode. I've been visiting today with Candace Tao on our what is and what is not working in due diligence investigations. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode where we take a look at sort of current events, timely topics, reputational damage, M&A successor liability issues, and some other things. So, Candace, uh, once again, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for joining me on this episode of International Due Diligence Investigations, Finding the Needle in the Corporate Haystack. I hope you'll join me again tomorrow for our next episode. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact Infertile at their website, which is www.infertile.com. This five-part podcast series has been a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.